This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Grace Church, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If we've never met before, I want to say hello to you as well. And if you are brand new with us, we are in a series in the book of Colossians. It's a book in the New Testament. And it's on page 573 is the passage that we're going to be looking at today. The, uh, the word that we're going to be looking at is actually chapter 3, verse 22. And we're going to just look at one verse in chapter 4. So that's on page 573. You don't have a Bible. That's, uh, that's our gift from, from us to you. So just take that Bible with you and, uh, and enjoy that uh, free of charge. Uh, today we're going to be taking one step further in the book of Colossians, and it is a bit of a controversial passage that has a surprising relevance for today. When I say controversial, I mean it. So uh, if you're looking at the text, in verse 22, it starts off this way, bond servants, and some translations even say slaves. The very first verse pushes us straight into controversy. So I don't have a, uh, a, a really jarring intro. I don't really need one today. Just look at the first verse. Bond servants obeying everything, those who are your earthly masters. So right out of the gate, here we are in controversy. We're talking about slaves and masters. And the quick question that comes to us is how, how relevant in this day and age is a passage about slaves and masters. Well, let me just say at the start... When Paul is addressing bondservants and slaves and masters, as he is here in this text, it's different than what might come to your mind if what goes, if what, where your mind goes is the 17th and 19th century slavery, what happened in North America, and in particularly in the United States. The Roman institution of a bondservant or a slave was different than the American institution of slavery, which was human trafficking which set the United States back hundreds of years, even as it advanced in other ways. Human trafficking is condemned by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1. You can look that up later. First century bond servanthood, indentured servanthood, slavery, that's still the language, was a situation where somebody worked for pay and they could, they could buy their freedom and they were given large responsibilities. And for many bond servants and slaves, they were quite wealthy, uh, quite prestigious in, in some circumstances. And so it was just very, very different than what, uh, what, you might, what comes to mind in terms of uh, what we think of when we think of slavery, at least at first glance. So there were clear differences that being said, I want to make sure that we understand that there's differences because Paul addresses slavery lots of other places in the Bible. And ironically, uh, many Christians in the United States and other places have used his verses written in a particular context to justify what he's not talking about. So I, I think it's very important that we make sure that there are clear differences. However, even in that time... Bond servanthood, by and large, even though there were differences and there were uh, unique circumstances that made it very different, was still an unjust socioeconomic structure of the day. It was part of the culture of that day, and it was not always equally fair, and it needed to be changed. 
And even as Paul addresses masters and slaves in this text, he sows the seeds of its eventual collapse. Eventually, it will change. But he does not address slaves and bondservants and masters to overturn the culture. He doesn't condone it, but he doesn't, in this passage, talk about changing it. That that's the the point of tomorrow's activities, is for you to change that unjust socioeconomic culture. He will say in 1 Corinthians 7, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. But if you can gain your freedom, do so. If you can gain your freedom, do so. Why? Because it's an unjust thing. It's broken. It's messed up. It's not, it's not ideal. It's not an ideal situation. Like many situations in the first century were not ideal. Like many cultural things that were just embedded into society were less than ideal and eventually, because of the Christian ethic, would be overturned, would be changed in its due time. There were many things in that day, and there are many things in this day. If you're brand new to the Bible, this might be kind of surprising to you. The Bible was written in a context with as much pain, with as much tension, with as much confusion, and sometimes more than the pain and the difficulty and the confusion that we have today. It's written in a context that talks about that and assumes that. It assumes brokenness. It it, it assumes difficulty. And that's very hopeful, I think, because we live in a culture, we live in a context that has plenty of tension and plenty of difficulty and plenty of challenges in front of us. You see, sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in a difficult calling. You're going to find yourself in a difficult place. And you've got some immovable structures around you. And you can't just quickly change the structures. And you've got to wake up tomorrow and you've got to live in it all over again. And it's just a difficult, troubling, confusing situation. Some of you are going through it right now. I don't have to actually say one day you will because right now you understand what it means that today you're in a difficult place and a difficult calling. And what would not be helpful is, is if the Apostle Paul just said, hey, here's three ways to change the culture, change the dynamics around you so that all your circumstances just resolve and you can just, you know, live in, in your ideal life setting. Rather, he assumes the challenge exists today and he answers the question, how do you work How do you wait and how do you thrive as a Christian in a difficult calling today? Now that's a question that we can all relate to. Because we're all going to step into something difficult. Some of us are in it right now. And we need to know how do you thrive? In some cases, how do you survive? But how do you go beyond surviving and and thrive? How do you live in a difficult place if you found yourself there today and when you find yourself there today. What we're going to see from the Apostle Paul is that thriving requires something from us. We've got to shift. We've got to change our perspective, which is sometimes the most difficult thing in the Christian life, is to change your perspective on something. And what he asks us to change our perspective on is who we are serving, how we are serving, and why we do it. Who we're serving how we're serving, and why we 
do it. And let's pray as we, as we get into this. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here today. We ask, Lord, that you would do that miraculous work of helping us. We can't do this on our own to shift something that is so ingrained in us in patterns and rhythms that we have in life to consider who we're serving and how we do it and why we do it. So we ask you, invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us clearly through your word, and we just need your help, and we open up our hearts to you. Show us Jesus. Show us truth. Show us grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at who we serve in verse 22. I trust most of your translations say bondservants. Again, some of your translations might say slaves. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So the in everything is obviously not if there's something criminal or immoral that they're being asked to do. Uh, Don't do that, Paul would say. But he's speaking to the family. And in this context, bondservants and slaves were part of the family. It was a part of just the structure of that day. And many had it well, some didn't. So he says... Listen, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So listen to this. Paul undermines the status quo of slavery in the first century by addressing slaves first. He will say something to the masters at the end of this passage, but he addresses them first. They're in the room hearing this read in the church context. And just like husbands were addressed and wives were addressed and kids are addressed here, Slaves are being addressed before the masters are addressed. He assumes that they are equal in status in the church. So even as he addresses them, he lets them know, listen, you are of equal status as the master who may be sitting next to you. He may have some legal control over you, but you're equal in the church. They are morally independent and responsible. There was a status Uh, uh, on slaves of that day that because they were in that particular life setting that they were kind of either immoral or they were not responsible for their decisions and he says no you're you're responsible for the lord that's what this whole passage is about and then he kind of gives this nod to masters and says earthly right there right obey your earthly masters Uh, in other words there's a time limit and there's an expiration date on the situation as it stands uh, it's, it, it's only going to last your small lifetime, <laughs> and, and, and then no, no more. They, they're your earthly masters. And then he says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, look at this, fearing the Lord. And that's very important to this entire passage. In fact, it's important to the entire book of Colossians. Because what Paul is consumed with, for these bond servants to recognize them is the same thing that he's consumed that the wives recognize and the husbands recognize and the kids recognize is this focus on Jesus. Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord, Christ. Fear the Lord. Serve the Lord, from the Lord, you're serving the Lord, Christ. Over and over again, Paul wants the bondservants to be more aware of the individual in the room than the master or the identity of being a bondservant or a slave. Namely, they're serving the Lord. The focus needs to be there. If you go up just a little bit at the beginning of chapter 3, 
he piles that same language on in the same kind of pattern and rhythm. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Do you see that? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Christ, 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 Christ. To get the focus on Christ. Get the focus off master. Get the focus off I'm a bondservant. Get the focus off of whatever you're finding rooted identity in. And put that focus, lift that focus, lift those eyes to Christ. It's all about Christ who is your life. And when he appears, you're going to appear with him in glory. And so it's all about Jesus. He wants all of our hearts and thoughts and minds and attention to be on Jesus. And that's what the Lord wants for us today. We all come in with stuff. We all come in with this is who I am and this is my life and this is the pattern of my life and this is what's expected of me and this is what I assume for my future. And it's all like down in the ground sort of. And what Paul says is lift those eyes up. Lift those eyes up to Jesus. That's where you are. You're with him, and he is in glory, and he's going to appear soon, and you're going to appear with him in glory. See, if you're new to this, uh, this message, if you're new to grace, if you're new to the Bible, this is really good news. God created us to be in a relationship with him, and sin separates us from God. Our sin, our choices move us away from God who created us to be with him. We moved away from him. God didn't move away from us. And then God does the unimaginable, unthinkable act of grace and moves towards us in Jesus. Jesus comes towards us and comes close to us. Very God, a very man. Fully God and fully man and lives a life we could never live for us and on our behalf, and then goes to the cross to take responsibility for our sins and then opens up heaven to us so that anybody who puts their faith in Jesus gets a new identity of being in Christ and then covered by his goodness and covered by his beauty and covered by his righteousness and no longer covered by their record of brokenness but covered by his goodness, his purity, his cleanliness, his life. And this is the good news, that slave and master and child and husband and wife and Gentile and Jew alike can all come into a relationship with God now because Jesus has opened up heaven and said, come and trust, come and grab hold of my nail-scarred hands and you'll be in Christ, and you'll have a brand new beauty about you, a brand new goodness about you, a brand new identity about you. And then he says, never move away from that. Never move out of that. Never forget who you are in Christ. As easy as it is to forget. Look at verse 11. He says, here, in chapter 3, verse 11, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave are free. 
Listen, he takes all the major identities of that day. Everybody knew who the Scythians were. Everybody knew who the barbarians were. Everybody knew who the slave people were. Everybody knew who the free people were. And certainly everybody knew the racial division line between Jew and Gentile. Between the Greek person and the Jewish person, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Those were bright lines in the culture. And he takes all of those and he says, here there is none of that. Here there is Christ who is all and he is in all. If Christ is in you because of the Holy Spirit, through faith alone, Christ is all and he's in all. And here you are. Here you are. Here's where you are. Despite how you may feel. Despite what tomorrow may feel like, you're right here. And, and, and you're in Christ. You ever go to the, to the mall or to a to shopping center and you get the you are here sign? Anybody hate those things? I, am, I can't find my way anywhere, so I'm probably not a good example for this. But anytime I go to those you are here signs... Typically, it's in the mall. It's like the only place that you still find it. So you walk up to the you are here sign, and you stand there, and it's got the star, and it says, and you first, that's where you're looking. Okay, where am I in this whole huge place? And it, it's like right there. You ever look at the star and say, man, I don't feel like I'm right there. You ever look at that and say, I feel like I'm over here. This is where I feel like I am. But it's like, and I do that so often, I argue with the sign. I'm like, this can't be right. I feel like I'm over here. This doesn't feel, I don't feel like I'm right there. And I'm doing this thing. I'm just looking around. And, uh, and I'm arguing with the sign, right? Because I don't feel, I, I'm putting authority in how I feel. And that's typically how I drive places. I just drive by feelings instead of by my GPS. And that's why I end up lost all over the place. And that's what Paul is saying right here. That's a powerful word, verse 11, chapter 3. Here, you're here. Here you are. Your feelings are not authoritative. And don't, don't define where you are by how you feel or how somebody's trying to make you feel or how somebody else feels about who you are or where you are. You are here. Paul is presenting the sign in front of them and saying, listen, bondservants, you're here. Locate yourself here. You're not over here. You're right here. Don't move away from where you are. And look at verse 24. While you're here, you bondservants are serving the Lord Christ. Those are powerful six words for slaves who've been taught their entire life that they're serving the household. They're serving their master. They're serving their pocketbooks. And Paul says, zoom out, bondservants, because here's who you're serving. You are serving the Lord Christ. Those were powerful six words to those bondservants. And those are powerful six words for all of us. Could there be more significant words spoken to us that sort of transform the way that we're thinking about work and about life and about our callings and about where God has us today. Certainly we've got ideas about tomorrow, but about today, where God has us 
today. He says, you are serving the Lord Christ today. And those six words infuse dignity into every single responsibility. It makes the smallest job holy. Think about it. It makes the smallest job holy and divine because he changed the who. He changed the who. At first you thought you were serving this person who maybe is not worth very much. But he says, zoom out. You're actually serving the Lord Christ. Who you do something for literally changes the nature of the work. If you're a teacher in here, you understand this completely. You get, you get this. The, the hardest working students that you have in your classroom typically are the holidays. I'm, I'm just guessing. Are typically the holidays whenever you present to your third graders, second graders, fourth graders, whatever. Here's what the assignment is for Christmas. But in addition to it being a grade for the class, what do you say? It's going to be a gift for mom or dad. It's brilliant. Teachers, you're, you're, you're brilliant that you do this. Because all of a sudden, it changed the nature of the work. It transformed it into something I'm doing for the teacher, something I'm doing for the classroom, something I'm doing for myself, for my grade, to now it's, it's that plus. It, it, it's not less than that. I'm going to get a grade for this. This Christmas project that I'm, I'm doing in my class. But now it's a gift. I'm going to give this to my mom or dad. And we've got all kinds of that stuff at our house. And we haven't thrown any of it away. These are all assignments from class. We've thrown away plenty of assignments from class. But we don't throw those things away because they're gifts in addition to being assignments. So teachers get this. Who it goes to transforms the work. And so what the apostle is saying is, listen, whatever responsibilities that you've been given today, you've been given those responsibilities. However big, however small, you are serving the Lord Christ with those. I mean, for weeks and weeks, we've been consumed with kind of who will LeBron play for? Do you guys get caught up in that? Who's LeBron going to play for? I got so caught up in this. I had all kinds of theories about how he's going to come to Dallas. <laughs> I mean, I, and I started to believe my own lies. Like, I kept thinking, it's going to happen. He's coming to Dallas. We've got so much going for us here in, in Dallas. And I was, like, sort of consumed with that for weeks of who's LeBron going to play for? And listen, at the end of the day, LeBron's going to play for the same person we're going to play for. Whether he, he's in, well, he is in L.A. with a $154 million contract for five years. But tomorrow LeBron plays for the same person ultimately that we play for. And we can ask all day long, who's he going to play for and forget? Who am I going to play for? Who am I going to work for? Who am I going to live for? Paul says, live for Jesus. Work for Jesus. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes us to the next question, how do we serve Jesus? If that's who we serve, how do we serve? Well, look at the way that he describes this. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, 
but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So that's not too difficult to understand. Uh, eye service would be, don't be a two-face. <laughs> don't be a fake. That, the definition of a poser is a person who acts in an affected manner in order to impress others. Bond servants were tempted to do their work like that. Simply for eye service, just when I'm on the clock, just when the master's around, I'm going to work hard. Just when I know somebody's looking at me or looking over my shoulder or going to check in or hold me accountable to my work, then I'm going to do a good job. And when the master's away, you know, I'm going to do anything that I want. Now, bond servants are tempted that way, and we are all tempted that way as well. We're all tempted to be two-faced and, 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 a, and, and a poser and just do eye service in front of our authorities, authorities when we invest all of our work effort in what they see and what they don't see. But here Paul's saying the Lord sees everything. So don't do your work just as uh, somebody who's faking it or posing or pretending. Don't, don't act that way. He says don't be a people, pers- a, a people pleaser. As people pleasers, you see that? And you could be a people pleaser one of two ways. You could be in frightened, you could be frightened by or intimidated by the person that you're serving or working for. You could have a supervisor, a boss, somebody in your, your life that you're just overly frightened by, overly nervous around. You're just intimidated by this individual. Paul says, don't be that way. Don't be, that's one form of uh, a people pleaser. You're just, just constantly aware when that person walks in the room and, and it, it can actually hinder you. It's the, it can have the opposite effect on your work. Uh, secondly, don't be a, a flatterer. That's another uh, more prominent way that somebody's a people pleaser. Don't flatter people. Uh, don't be a kiss up, okay? That, that, that's so practical. You know, you, you, what you hate when, when you see it in another person, don't do that yourself. We're all tempted to do that. All of us. It's not like, well, that guy in the office, man, what a kiss up, right? And we're tempted to say, well, it's all located in other people around me, but I never have that same temptation. The Apostle Paul says this is a common problem. Don't be a people pleaser. Don't be a flatterer. Don't fawn over people and, and kiss up to people in order to, to, uh, to, to climb up the ladder. And Bond servants were tempted that way. That was the way some of them saw this is the way up, is to kiss up, is the way up. And uh, they were tempted that way, and we could be tempted that way too. Paul says, don't do any of that stuff. With sincerity of heart, fear the Lord. That's the solution. That's the solution to being overly intimidated by somebody. That's the solution to being frightened by an opponent or somebody that you're working for or trying to serve. That's your solution. If you're just tempted to flattery, that's your solution. Sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. There's a great book by Ed Welch called When People Are Big and God is Small. You can pick it up on Amazon. When People Are Big and God is Small. And don't you love titles that just kind of tell you how it is? Just write in the, write in the title, no guesswork there. When, when a person in your life is really, really big... Uh, you need to right-size God. God is somewhere off in the distance, and you need God to be big in that situation and right-size. That shrinks down that person to the, 
to the playing field that he or she exists in. So commend that, commend that book to you. So fear of the Lord ultimately solves fear of man, fear of people, fear of authority, fear of a person in your life. And look at verse 23. Whatever you do, this again, this, this kind of all-encompassing language. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's very practical. We are tempted to be working for people, to be working for our supervisor, to be serving in this difficult situation in life. And we're just thinking horizontally. And then the apostle is telling us, don't do this horizontally. Do this vertically, up and down, as for the Lord. Imagine the Lord being the person that you're doing it for. Sanctify your imagination and believe it to be for the Lord. Change your perspective, not only in who you serve, but how you serve. If it's the Lord you're serving, you're going to work heartily at it with all your heart. No matter what the job is, big or small, you're going to put your heart into it. And that's literally what that word means. When it says work heartily, that word is uh, actually the word, the same word used for soul. For soul. The apostles actually saying, put your soul into it. Put a little bit of heart and soul into it is what he says. Put your soul into it. Put your everything in it. Put your guts into it. Whatever your work is, whatever you do, give it all you got. Work heartily. Put all of your effort into whatever your responsibility is. Here's a good way of thinking about it. Give your responsibilities this week, whatever they are, big or small, your fully present best effort. Fully present, best effort. That doesn't mean we shouldn't give thought to the future, or dream about the future, or envision life in the future, or plan for the future at all. We should. Paul tells bond servants they should. If they can get into a situation where they can buy their freedom and buy out of the situation, then do it. Work hard towards it. Envision for the future. But tomorrow... Give it your fully present best effort. And that is going to change a lot of the challenge of the day-to-day of living and thriving in a difficult situation. When you stop comparing your situation to another person's situation, I mean, that right there. If you can just stop comparing, stop looking around and destroying the joy that the Lord has for you today in today's situation. The situation that God has you in, that he's prepared you for. That's a huge step in the right direction. When you stop daydreaming about what should be or what could be or what might be, but you give this day, these responsibilities, everything you got, your fully present best effort, you're going to be serving and working heartily as for the Lord. So, so let's be the best at our vocation Whatever that is tomorrow, whether that's looking for a job or whatever job you've got while you're hoping and waiting and praying and applying for other jobs, give whatever you've got tomorrow, everything you've got, everything you, can, you possibly have 
because that's what that word means. Now, Jesus said the same thing. He, he encouraged these same principles. Do you remember the story of the talents? He, he told his disciples, he tells this story. He says, talking about an individual that gave talents to people. He says, to one he gave five talents. To another he gave two talents. To another he gave one talent. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So he, he took the talent and he buried it. Now, at first glance, you might think that the person who received the first talent was a good steward. Because he buried it. He knew where the talent was when the master returned. He could go and find where that talent is, dig it back up, give it back to the master. In other words, I'm being a good steward by burying this. But he says that's the opposite of what happens. He rebukes the person for burying it, of, of trying to sort of outsmart the master. Instead, he commends the person with five talents and two talents for investing what they have, for giving what they have, everything that they, they got, of risking a little bit, and of putting their money into into action, into work, doing something uh, with it instead of burying it. And that's a window into what stewardship is all about. Stewardship is not sitting on your hands or pretending that you're not gifted in something or kind of pushing something aside and, and, and just forgetting about it. Stewardship is taking whatever God's given to you and putting it into action. So in that, in that story, everyone's given something. No one's given the same thing, but everybody's responsible for what you've been given. And you're not responsible for what you haven't been given. That's the glory of it. I mean, we just got to get over the fact that some people are going to have two talents and some people are going to have five. Can we all just collectively mourn over the fact that we're not given everything that we wish we were given? All of us. We're all wishing we had five when God's given us three. Guess what? The person who has five wished he was given six or ten. Everybody. Let's all just, let's all have a funeral and mourn the fact together that God has given us some unique things to steward and put into action. And it's customized to us. And it's not going to look like the person next to us. And, and we're just wasting our time wishing it was instead of just putting into action what God's given to us. So whatever you've been given, give it everything you've got. And lastly, remember why we serve, why we serve. Verse 24 says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Grab hold of that word, reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there's no partiality. Now he gives the word to masters. It's like, I haven't forgot about you, masters. You guys are listening to this too. In the same room, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. It just kind of, that's a mic drop moment. Like, drop the mic. 
boom on the masters in there that were kind of thinking this is how this is always going to be forever in eternity. Oh, no, no, no. You have a master also that you are equally accountable for in heaven. And God sees everything. So look at verse 24. Jesus will personally reward you for your effort with an inheritance. That's shocking. Jesus doesn't delegate that out to an angel in heaven or to some amazing saint in heaven. He doesn't say, you know, when you get to heaven one day, Mother Teresa, I got, you're going to be, you know, Mother Teresa or some, some amazing saint's going to be, you know, rewarding you. No, no. Jesus says, I will be rewarding you. Paul said the same in 2 Corinthians 5. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So however we've invested our life and whatever we've invested our life into and whatever we've given to, that the Lord sees all that and will reward us for that effort and that faithfulness. And for some people, they'll suffer loss of reward because they weren't doing it for Jesus. They were doing it for themselves. Now, a great question on this often is, are we supposed to be focused on getting a reward? I mean, does the idea of receiving a reward and sort of working for a spiritual future heavenly reward, like, cheapen the offering today? Does it cheapen the spirituality of it? It's a very good question. And it's, uh, it's important that you, you see what Jesus says about this, this kind of thing. Jesus says things like this, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, blessed are you. And then he goes on to say, beyond just being like spiritually blessed, he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All those prophets who were before you would concur with Jesus. Great is their reward in heaven and great is your reward in heaven. He was all about focus on the reward. Even as you receive an insult, you should instantly be glad. It's not like don't be a jerk Christian so that you receive insults. That's not what he's saying Don't do that. But if you're living for Jesus and somebody insults you, you should think reward in heaven. Uh, Even even as it's painful, he says rejoice and be glad. He'll say things like this. Beware practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. That's That's what a lot of the Pharisees did. They sounded the trumpets before them, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, it's impossible to cut the nerve of your heart to receive a reward. We're constantly focused on a reward. And he's saying the hypocrites were so focused on the reward, they would sound the trumpet, and then people would praise them. Like, yeah, I'm so awesome and spiritual and so great and you should all follow me and follow me on Twitter and you know he's, he, he says yes he, they got rewarded but it's a vapor reward 
It's, it's, they have their reward in full. There you go. They just received it. There it goes. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That, that just means don't overthink it. Don't be consciously aware of what other people see you do. So that your giving may be done in secret. Because your father who sees in secret will reward you. Have you ever wondered how is it that the last in this age are made the first in the next life? It's because the father sees in secret and he sees everything and he promises he's going to reward them and he's going to reward you. Are you going through a difficult season? Are you going through a difficult time? Are you right now in a difficult calling? Do you feel like you're heading into a difficult calling in your life? Here's how you're going to get through that. Your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. You can work at it with all your heart. Even as you push against those boundaries. Even as you push against those those limitations, whatever those those are, whether those are financial, whether it's health related, whatever. As you're praying for the cloud to lift, as you're praying for the markers to, to expand or to be lifted off of you, while you are in that difficult place, your Father sees you and He sees everything surrounding you. Nothing it, it is outside of His sight. Nothing's being forgotten. He sees it all and He's going to reward you. Let's pray together. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.